title of today's message is Restraining Force. We're going to be in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. And we're continuing our What is the Church series today. We're talking about a very unique way that the church is described in the book of 2 Thessalonians. I'm going to begin today by telling you about one of the strangest rescue calls I was ever on. And the beginning of this is going to sound kind of like the beginning of a horror movie. We were driving back from the local county hospital. I used to work out of Lake Geneva. The county hospital was in Elkhorn. And it was a dark and stormy night in mid-August, still 90 degrees at 3 o'clock in the morning. And we're taking Highway NN back down to Lake Geneva. And if you've ever been in that part of the state, it's kind of like around here, just they don't know how to make a road straight. And it was very twisty, very turny, a lot of blind hills and all that kind of thing. And, so it was always a challenge driving Highway NN back down to Lake Geneva. That and the wildlife and cows and everything else that kept jumping out in front of you. Well, we got about two miles out of town when we saw something in the road ahead through the rain and the storm and all that. And as we got closer, we saw it was a person walking down the middle of the road toward us. And immediately in, in Walworth County, because that area has a lot of bars, we're thinking somebody wandered from one of the bars and was trying to find their way home and they're drunk and everything. But as we slowed down and got closer, we saw that it was a young woman and that she was just covered in blood. We called immediately for the fire department and the police and we got her in the back of our ambulance and we checked her out. And she's in this state of shock. She keeps repeating and saying, I can't find him. I can't find him. Where is he? Where is he? I can't find him. I can't find him. We couldn't get anything else out of her. So we're washing the blood and we're wiping it away. I can't find any injuries on this woman except for just a couple of bruises. Just then, the local fire department called us on the radio and said on the way to the call, they came upon what appeared to be an accident scene, that they had found a car that had flown into the woods about 30 feet off of the road. So since this woman wasn't that well, um, injured, we handed it off to our um, intermediate crew, and we went to that scene because that person may need ALS coverage given the amount of, um, or ALS care given the amount of blood we were looking at. So we found this car about 30 feet off the road, and apparently they didn't make one of those curves I was talking about, and went off into a wooded area and smashed into a, a big tree on the passenger side front. The windshield was completely missing, but there was blood all over the inside of the car. So we grabbed the searchlight, assuming that this guy had gotten tossed in the car somewhere, and we're doing grid searches throughout the woods, and it's raining and storming, and and like really storming, blowing everything else. It's just really hard to see anything. And finally we heard a yell that one of the firefighters had found something. So he went over there and he shined his light up into the trees. And up in the trees about 15, 20 feet is the windshield. It was a big hole in it. And I was like, wow. And it was, it was a considerable distance from the car. So then we kind of went on a line from that car and we found the person kind of hanging upside down in the tree, massive head injuries, he was very dead. And he's about 20 feet up in the tree. Now, had that man been wearing his seatbelt and been sober, he probably would have survived that crash with a few scrapes or maybe a broken bone or two. But instead, he was ejected from his car at a very high speed. And I tell you this story not to freak you out or gross you out or, or anything like that, but to illustrate this point. I've been very troubled where, there's, where our nation and our world is going. Our society has removed its seatbelt. It's drinking its fill of ideas and lifestyles that are diametrically <coughs> opposed to 
God and his kingdom. And our culture is taking a very dark and twisting role right now in a sea of compromise that we call tolerance. And just like this man in the woods, I fear that we will end up crashing someday into the truth, except that crash will occur at the judgment seat of God. This inner turmoil that I've had has led me into a deeper prayer life. I suppose that's a good thing. But over the last week, I've been in this deeper prayer time over concerning our church and its mission and its message in this community. <coughs> and this last week, I was asking God where he wanted me to go with our current series about the church. And he led me to this scripture, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 8. And as I read this scripture, I'm going to put emphasis on a few points so I can bring those points out in the rest of the message. Now, the background of, of what he is, uh, what the Apostle Paul is speaking to here is he's speaking prophetically about the end times. And in the verses immediately before this, Paul is speaking directly about the Antichrist and the power of lawlessness found within that Antichrist spirit that will be pervasive in the last days. Those last days are what we are living in right now. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 6. And now that you know what is holding him back. Now the him there is the Antichrist. That there is something holding the Antichrist back. So that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. But the one who now holds it back will continue to do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. Thank you, Lord. Father God, we just thank you for your word. And I ask, Father, that today's message may be something that penetrates into our hearts and minds that gives us Hope for the future gives us tools to use to live a life that means and has value in the kingdom of God. And I ask, Father, that you just help us to be able to walk from here energized and ready to face everything that we're going to be facing in this world in the coming weeks. Father God, I ask this in your name. Amen. Now, I want to talk to you about three things from this scripture. Number one, I want to look at what is holding back the power of Antichrist, which the Bible says is the spirit of lawlessness. Would anybody say that there is a spirit of lawlessness in this nation today? I want to talk, second, I want to talk about the he who is taken out of the way. Because there's a lot of different pronouns that are being thrown around in that scripture. So I want to make it very clear who the he is that's going to be taken out of the way. And three, I want to see what the secret to overcoming this anti-Christ spirit is, both in our personal lives and in the lives of our communities. So let's look at the what. What is holding back that power of anti-Christ? As that scripture says, and now you know what is holding him back. I was telling Bernie this morning that my old Bible study program, PC Study Bible, no longer works with Windows 10. It means I've kind of had to go old-fashioned for a couple weeks. I have to actually use some of those books that fill my office there and, and look up stuff that way. And unfortunately, the company won't support the older version, so I switched to a new program called Logos, which is pretty much everybody in the Assembly of God uses because they get it in Bible school. 
It's very different to use, and it's almost about $1,000 if you buy the complete set. But they had an offer for the ad, which is the very basics of about $100 a year, so we got that instead. And I tell you because I spent hours trying to figure out exactly what the what is, if that makes sense. You see, before I could have clicked just over the word, a dozen commentaries and dictionaries and everything would have popped up. But now I have to figure out how to do the same thing with the Logos script down version. Paul is being a little evasive here and not directly saying who and what he is referring to. So why would an apostle who is concerned so much with relaying the truth of God and his kingdom be a little purposely evasive here? I mean, instead of using the word what, he could have said and meant multiple things. He could have meant the kingdom of God is the what. He could have meant the gospel message is the what. He could have said the word of God in its completeness when the canon was finished about 30 years after he wrote this letter. He could have been a lot more specific here, but he isn't, which made me ask the question, why? Well, the main reason that Paul is sometimes purposely vague in his writings is twofold. One, it's because it's how Jewish rabbis taught people. It's simply how they taught people. You see this in the way that Jesus interacted with people. He would often ask questions. He would often use parables. Instead of just saying exactly what the truth was, he made people discover it for themselves. Because educators will tell you, if you make a student discover something for themselves, they will actually remember it and apply it to their lives. Versus if you just give them the answer. If you teach them how to find the answers themselves, they will learn it that much better. So that is, that is one of the reasons that Paul was vague in his writing. So he, people would have to dig into that and discover that truth for themselves. Another reason that Paul didn't come right out and say the answer is because at this point in his ministry, his letters were often intercepted and, and tried to destroy it both from his opponents and from the Roman Empire, which was increasingly seeing Christianity as a threat to their rule. So sometimes he was purposely vague. If he would have came right out and given the answer, they would have considered that to be sedition and gone after him much more quick, quickly than they did. So Paul, in his later years, would often write in a nonspecific way, but his meaning would be obvious to the elders that he was writing to, or anyone versed in the fundamental beliefs of Christianity. Now, the what, the what Paul is referring to here is the Christian church. The Christian church universal, meaning all faithful, Bible-believing churches and organizations. It doesn't matter what the name is on the sign. If they follow the Bible, if they believe in Christ as the only way of salvation, that is the people that he is talking about here. So he's, the what that he is referring to is the restraining power that is holding back that secret power of lawlessness, which is the spirit of Antichrist. So the church is the thing that's holding that back right now in this world. And for years, this was a church in our country, wasn't it? We could sing songs like a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing, and say that with a straight face because everybody went to church. Everybody was involved in church. Whether they were Christians or not, maybe a, a, different, um, a different story, but at least everybody was around church. The Judeo-Christian ethic permeated every part of our culture. We were the what that held that Antichrist spirit back. 
And then in the 60s, we had spiritual rebellion amongst many of our young people. And that influence that the church had started to decrease. The 60s were followed by the morass of the 70s, and that influence fell even more. That bred the hedonism of the 80s, where we lost an entire generation of young people to the popular culture, followed by the collapse of the family in the 90s, and the destruction of peace in the 2000s, which leads us to this desert that we are in today. When I spoke about the morass of the 70s, there was a specific event that happened in the 70s that contributes to where we are today, and that was the legalization of abortion on demand. I read an article a while ago in which a sociologist took the over 60 million children that have been murdered in America's abortions clinics and did statistical analysis rejecting the jobs and the vocations they would have went into had they lived. And what he discovered was there was 150,000 pastors that were never born. 150,000 pulpits that never could see a pastor. And they tell us abortion doesn't hurt anybody. 150 voices, 1,000 voices for God that could have impacted our culture that are now silenced. And what this has left us with is an Americanized Christianity, which is a very individualistic Christianity. Frankly, it's not even a Christianity that would have been recognized by the early church. The early church was a community. They were a community that stood firm against the immorality and evil of their time. They were the salt. They were the light. They were the walls that separated the kingdom of darkness from the rest of the world. That is and was and ever shall be the mission of the church on this planet. People ask me all the time, I don't, you know, why do I even need to go to church? Why do I need the church anymore? And I say, turn on the news. Turn on the news. You see the spirit of lawlessness running rampant in our nation right now. Bombs exploding yesterday in New Jersey and Manhattan. A knife-wielding Muslim stabbing people at a wall or in a mall in Minnesota. The circus that we're calling the current election cycle. You know, all that is bad. All that is showing how the spirit of lawlessness is trying to gain a foothold. But just imagine for a moment how that spirit would be in the world if you took the church away. No Christian influence at all. We've seen some glimpses of how that looks in history. We saw it in Nazi Germany. We saw it in Mao Zedong's China. We saw it in Stalin's Russia. We saw it in the killing fields of Cambodia, of a Christless culture set loose upon the world. We saw the death and genocide and suffering that came with that. That's why you and I, we always and constantly need to renew our commitment to the church and our fellowship, the Assemblies of God, as well as being willing to partner with people of like precious faith. Because we're all the church. We're all the body of Christ, represented here in Whitehall and throughout Trefalo County. There's not going to be a special place in heaven that's going to be more exalted for the assemblies of God. It's all going to be the body of Christ. Therefore, we should be willing to work with those people to make sure Jesus gets um, spread abroad within here and within the county that we live in. 
And we all stand against the spirit of Antichrist and the spirit of lawlessness that comes with it. Because we carry within us the very spirit of God Almighty. We carry that into our families. We carry that to our neighbors. We carry that into our jobs. And we should be carrying that into our communities. Amen? And that leads us to the next question. Who is the he that is taken out of the way? The scripture said that the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will do so until he is taken out of the way. Now who is this he? You would say, well, we just talked about the church. Isn't it the church? But in scripture, the church is always referred to in the feminine because we are the bride of Christ. So it has to refer to something or someone else. You might ask, well, is it Jesus? I mean, after all, didn't Jesus live a perfect life? He gave his life as payment for our sins. And so by accepting his sacrifice and making him Lord and Savior, we can go, from, we can go to heaven. We can escape this eternal death called hell. So maybe he is Jesus. But Jesus rose from the dead and then ascended back to heaven. So he is not here. But he did not leave us alone. He didn't leave us alone. Because Jesus came to restore what was lost in Eden. Remember, they sinned in Eden and they saw that they were naked. Something was taken from them at that point. And that what was taken from them is the very spirit of the living God living inside of them. Jesus himself said, It is very truly, I tell you, it is for your own good that I'm going away. Now, I'm glad I wasn't one of the apostles because Jesus probably would have gotten sick of me. So I was like, wait a minute, you're going away? What could possibly be good from Jesus going away? But then Jesus tells us the good news in John chapter 16. He said, unless I go away, the advocate, which is another name for the Holy Spirit, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world to be wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world already stands condemned. The church right now is a group of people carrying the very spirit of the living God within us. That means that your very presence somewhere should prove the world to be wrong about sin and righteousness. How many people, when you have walked into the room, if you're known to be a strong Christian, all of a sudden the profanity stops and the coarse joking stops? How many people have apologized to you because, you know, they've said something that was really off color and they said, I'm sorry, I know that's probably offensive to you. We know that that very presence of the Holy Spirit brings that conviction. It's not us. I mean, most people don't care what you think. It's that very spirit of God that they are reacting to. It proves to the world that a person can be holy. It proves to the world that God does exist and exists with his people. And most of all, it proves to the forces of darkness that their time is almost up. This verse in 2 Thessalonians that refers to he that is taken out of the way is talking about the rapture. When the Christians who are carrying God's Holy Spirit within them are removed, there will be no restraining power to tell people about sin and judgment. There will be no restraining power against that spirit of lawlessness. It will have free reign. 
Everyone will do as they see fit. Think about how bad the world is now. Now take away any restraining influence, any restraining power. If you remove all the light from a room, the only thing that remains is the absence of light, which is darkness. When God removes his church from this world, at the beginning of the tribulation, that light will be gone. And all that remains will be darkness. Therefore, the church, the church as an organization is that light. You individually are that light. You say, well, how much light could I possibly project? Well, if you take a person to a, a closed football stadium, one of the, a, a, a normal rope on it, and you set them on the 50-yard line, turn all the lights out, all they're holding up is a candle, you will be able to see that light from no matter where you are in the station. Now put 10 people out there all holding candles, and that light projects beyond them now. Put 100 people out there with candles, and you'll start being able to see into the stands. Put 200 people out there, and you'll be able to read books from the stands. It's that multiplication power that light has. Together, our light shines so bright that all darkness can and will be removed if we let our light shine into this community. That's why the church is so important. That's why the, you being here on Sundays is so important because you can multiply the effect that this light shines out into the community. The third question we asked at the beginning of the message is how is is that our practical takeaway from this verse is how we can overcome this antichrist spirit. First Corinthians, two, or excuse me, Second Thessalonians two eight says, "Then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming." Now it's an interesting word picture that Paul gives here. That Jesus will destroy the power of lawlessness by the breath that comes from his mouth. Now, most women here who are married or have been married will tell you that most men could do this naturally with their morning breath. <laughs> Particularly if you add some coffee to it. So it's not a difficult word picture for females because they, well, you know, I live this every day. But that's not what Paul is referring to here. Paul is referring prophetically to a future event that is described by the Apostle John in Revelation 19. Revelation 19.11 says, I saw heaven open. It's one of my favorite portions of the Bible. So I can't wait until I get to see this. It just makes me want to jump. I saw heaven standing open, and before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The enemies, the, excuse me, the armies of heaven were following him, riding on a white horse and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. And coming out of his mouth, this is what's going to refer to, to what we're talking about here. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword which with to strike down the nations. 
He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has his name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. I can't wait to see that. <laughs> this gives me goosebumps just talking about it. Now, are we to take the verse about the sword coming out of his mouth literally? I mean, is Jesus on his his horse going ah, 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 and people are falling dead? No, so that has to mean something else. What else does that mean? We'll refer back to Hebrews 4.12, which says that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even the dividing of soul and spirit, joint and marrow, judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. How do you defeat the spirit of Antichrist? How do you defeat the, the lawlessness that you see around you in your workplace, your family, or your community? The same way that Jesus does. Amen. The word of God. When Jesus was tempted, what did he do? He spoke the word of God. Amen. He spoke the word of God. Are you tempted? Speak the word regarding the truth of, the, of that temptation. Are you depressed? Speak the word of God regarding hope and the promises found in the Bible within the word of God. Are you frightened? Speak to the word of God regarding who he is. He is Yahweh El Shaddai, the Lord God Almighty. Amen. You have nothing to fear. The Bible has something to say about any attack that the enemy can use against you. That's why you need to read it, know it, memorize it, eat it, feast upon it. Use it as your food, your spiritual food that strengthens you to live in this world right now. I have one final scripture to close with. And it's the key to surviving in these last days, and it's also found in Revelation. 12, verse 11. They triumphed over him. To him there is the Antichrist in his spirit. They triumphed over the Antichrist. By the blood of the Lamb. And you have that if you are in relationship with God through Christ Jesus. By the word of their testimony. Means that you need to share what Jesus has done for you. And that they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Be willing to witness no matter what the personal cost might be to you. This world's heading for a crash. We see it every day. We read about it, we hear about it, and the Bible predicts it. We, the people of the church, are the only thing that is standing in the way. So as we enter back into a time of worship now, won't you commit yourself this morning to the mission to seek and save the lost, to bring the freedom of the gospel to those in slavery of sin. To bring Jesus Christ and reveal him to this community. 